Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. As I mentioned after the bowl game, we were taking a break from football for a while to focus on basketball, and we have, but I thought it was time to get Steve Lorenz back on the show and get our recruiting fix. I try and have Steve on once a month after the season ends, so starting this month, we'll try and get back to that schedule. Before Steve joins us, a few of my thoughts to get the show rolling. I'm hearing the same news about John Beeline that you are. It sounds like his time in the NBA is coming to an end. It might even have happened by the time this show airs. Things are developing that quickly. I was listening to Brendan Quinn on his podcast the other day, Moving Screen, which is a great listen, and I highly recommend it. But Brendan said this did not surprise him. The timing, yes, but not the fact that Coach B was miserable with the entire NBA experience. And I, for one, really hate to hear that. We don't know the entire story yet, so it's best to let it all unfold before we say much more. There could be many factors that would lead him to say enough is enough. Basketball factors and personal. Patrick Beeline stepped away from his coaching job at Niagara in the fall for personal reasons before the season ever started. As Brendan said, whatever is going on with that has really bothered Coach B. So there could be a lot of factors we don't know about bringing this to a head for Coach B. I think like many of you, I want to see him ride into the sunset and enjoy life. Maybe take some time off. He has meant so much to the Michigan program and our fan base and the other schools and players he touched in his incredible journey as a coach, a mentor, a father figure, and a friend. So let's hope and pray everything is okay and we haven't heard the last from Coach B. We need more John B lines in this world to show us that it can be done the right way and with grace, class, and dignity. Yes, the class of 2020 is signed, sealed, and delivered in college football. The 2021 cycle is now officially upon us, and no one covers it better than our guest today. Up next on our game day segment is Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports. You're on the Michigan Man, in partnership with our friends at SB Nation's Maze and Brew. So stay with us. Here with us on our game day segment is Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports to talk about a topic that my listeners and your reader, Steve, love, recruiting. Sort of a slow period right now, but I mean, we just wrapped up the uh, the class of 2020. It's in the bag, so to speak. Uh, Jim and his staff signed 15 four-stars, I think, eight three-stars. So it's not a top 10 class, and I know we're all locked in on that, but a lot to like about this group, isn't there, Steve? Yes. Better job at... You know, it's like we were, like I just was saying before we got on, uh, the class was pretty much done in July. There really wasn't a lot of that. It was a little bit at the end, but not as much of that, you know, back and forth with guys leaving the class. You know, it was, it was pretty much this class was pretty much done before the football season even started uh, outside of a couple late additions, you know. And, and if you're the Michigan staff, they've, in my opinion, they've done a better job of, you know, you kind of remember the satellite camp days when mm-hmm. I think they had like 13 D commitments because they were taking kids that they probably shouldn't have been taken a uh, verbal commitment from, but uh, they've really kind of done a better job of that. You know, we are going to be in the third year 
of that 2018 class that everybody kind of tried to crap on. I don't know the best way to say, you know, like people were hating on that class. You know, people hated that class because yeah. how lowly ranked a lot of the guys are. A lot of those kids are really panning out, becoming really good football players. And I think 18, 19, and 20 uh, has been much more of a evaluation-focused, not so much the rankings, although, you know, we know the 19 class was pretty highly ranked. But per recruit, the average in this 20 class is, is nearly the same as it was in 2019. So, you know, it's just a little bit of a smaller class uh, than that group was. So, yeah, I think Michigan, pretty happy. Uh, I Again, I look at this class kind of similar to 18 in that the depth is pretty strong at a lot of spots. So there aren't a ton of guys where I feel like they think they need an instant impact type situation. So these are some talented guys that will have time to grow and, and, and develop. Well, Steve, how many of these kids uh, are early enrollees uh, on campus right now? I believe eight. Now, Cornell Wheeler is the one that I've never really have actually confirmed or figured out if he showed up early on campus or not. But there are eight guys on there. See if I can remember. There's Corum McGregor, Page, Mohan, uh, Hill Green, trying to think, oh, Selden. And then there's a couple other guys I'm already forgetting. Uh, oh, Zach Zinter is the other one. I think then there's one more I'm forgetting. Sorry if, if that kid is listening. But, uh, you know, but eight, eight overall and maybe nine. I don't believe Wheeler ended up enrolling early, though. Well, of this group, and you just mentioned, we really don't need contributions early from a lot of these kids. But can you give us uh, the names of some that you think might contribute early? Sure. So first one, actually, maybe Michigan fans would be happy to hear would be Andre Selden. Uh, the Belleville corner who our our people just last week uh, he's already gained like 10 12 pounds in the weight room since he got to campus so he's up to about one you know because he's very he's a he's a smaller guy uh, I mean he measured in at I think five eight like 159 at the Under Armour game mm-hmm. and he's already a pass he's past 170 now he is a nickel all day um, and is a guy I believe can walk in and play coverage immediately. I think run support is always going to be kind of that question with him. You know, you got a 205, 210 pound back coming at him. You know, how's he going to fare in those types of situations? Uh, but as far as coverage goes, I think he's a day one type kid. And, you know, I think Michigan fans know the, the more coverage guys you can get, the better. You know, I think Don Brown had even mentioned two Selden. I mean, he committed like five years ago, but like, like recently had mentioned to him that he'd had him out on KJ Hamler in that Penn State game. When we know, you know, how that ended up going for Michigan this season. So, you know, I think there's some value there uh, for him to be an immediate guy. Early, enrolling early is obviously a big plus in that regard. He'll get all of spring ball, uh, and then also which is as important for Michigan and other schools like Notre Dame is like balancing the student part of it too. That's where the, a lot of the value in enrolling early is, you know, there's not as much of a transition period for those guys when fall ball comes around. So uh, Selden's kind of the first guy. The other guy is Blake Corum at running back. He's kind of the first, the second guy I think of, you know, I know Michigan's very set at running back. You know, you have Charbonnet Haskins who both still have, I believe, at least two full years of eligibility if they want. Corum's a totally different kind of back than those guys, and I think there's some opportunity for usage here. He's even different than Chris Evans, too. I mean, we can't forget that Chris Evans is going to be back this year. Uh, I think Corum is different than all three of those guys. And I think, again, much like Charbonnet, Corum was pretty much their number one guy, and they got him. And we saw what Charbonnet did last year. You know, I think Corum is a guy you could maybe see him use a little bit more in the passing game. 
and and is a guy that can still carry the ball between the tackles. So, you know, they pitched to him that they give him some immediate opportunities. I believe that'll be the case. Again, we'll see how much because again, Haskins Charbonnet look like one of the best one-two combos at least in the Big Ten Conference next year. So, I mean, there's definitely a pecking order there at back. You know, so how they'll use Corum and then Evans. I mean, I know he's not a recruit, but how they'll use those guys will be really interesting. But I think he's another guy that will probably play immediately. Well, as we uh, all know, we are well into the 2021 cycle now. We have just two verbals, uh, the first being quarterback J.J. McCarthy from Nazareth Academy in LaGrange Park, Illinois. And I know in the past you've always said the fact that when you sign a big-name quarterback like this early in the cycle – it can be a factor in convincing other highly rated kids to follow, Steve. Yeah, he's doing the whole, I'm trying to think, you know, for listeners out there who might remember, and don't equate me comparing it with how they perform in the field, but uh, a lot like Shane Morris, a lot like Alex Malzone, uh, as those guys, I don't try Wilton was really, I guess Wilton kind of did a little bit, but uh, as guys who are very vocal and in, in behind the scenes and trying to get other kids to come play, with them at Michigan. I mean, I could tell you Michigan's made scholarship offers based on a prospect's relationship with McCarthy because they believe, you know, A, the kid is good. They're not just going to hand it out because he's friends with J.J. McCarthy, but if McCarthy knows the kid really well, you know, that's something they can use to their advantage. I mean, that's something they've actually done. So, he's yeah, he's been working very hard with a lot of those top, top targets, the Rocco Spindler, Donovan Edwards-type guys. So, uh, and yeah, I mean – the visibility when you have a five-star guy when I know our our national analyst Barton Simmons kind of mentioned it as you know at, at tournaments seeing that stud quarterback wearing a maize and blue wearing the maize and blue wearing a Michigan hat you know is something that like, I don't know I never know if a kid's actually gonna like choose a school because of it but it's one of those things that can help you uh you know that little those sometimes those little things can kind of add up and that's one of those little things that you know, I think Michigan is, is going to look to take advantage of. Well, the other verbal, as we mentioned, we have two right now for the class of 21. Uh, Giovanni Elhadi from Sterling Heights Stevenson, 6'6", 280-pound offensive tackle. Talk about this kid, Steve. He, I mean, he, I think he's got five-star potential. I mean, he's not that far off it, of five-star of a five-star ranking right now. I think he's. I think we have him in like at 60th overall, somewhere around there. Michigan really starting to kind of put together like the tackle recruiting under Warner has been a completely different animal than it was before. Uh, you look at the two and 18 with Hayes and Mayfield, we already looks like Mayfield is definitely going to pan out. Hayes looks like he's on his way. Uh, in 19, we know about that class, the six man group, you know, with guys like Trent Jones, Carson Barnhart, who's getting a ton of buzz right now uh, as a potential guy. And then in 20, I would say that Jeff Percy could be the highest ceiling prospect in the entire cycle. Uh, El Hadi is right there with those guys as far as his as far as his potential for sure. Uh, he's the guy that's ranked higher than pretty much all of those guys were though. I mean, he's a, he's a legitimate stud. Michigan got in early, got the verbal commitment early, and much like JJ, I know an offensive lineman maybe doesn't have that uh, the cachet I guess that a quarterback does, but he's doing the same thing with a lot of guys, especially Spindler being one. Uh, Two very, what I would say, cornerstone-type kids to build your class around. I mean, think about it. 2020 didn't have one top 100 kid. As good of a class as I think think it is, uh, they didn't have a top 100 kid signed in the cycle. Now they are they already have two verbals in 2021, and they're in it for a bunch of others in, t- in the top 100. So, you know, Al-Hadi, just another great 
early addition in state. This in state class is very, very, very good, um, and he might be one of the he might be the best, one of the best for sure. Well, Steve, let's talk about some of the other high profile targets and get your take. I sort of compiled a list of the ten I I read the most about, and they're all very, very good players. And starting with the running back Donovan Edwards. Edwards, he's from West Bloomfield. He has been getting visits from the likes of Nick Saban, Brian Kelly, Ryan Day. Where is Michigan with this kid? I mean, he's their top target, I would say, which makes sense. You know, he's in their backyard. Head coach is a former Michigan player. Um, it's kind of what you would want if you're Michigan. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, he lives within a stone's throw of campus, and, and yeah, his head coach is a former uh, Michigan player. Yeah, national recruitment for sure. You know, Michigan, it's funny because they signed Charbonnet in 19, they signed Corum in 20. You think, okay, well, it might be kind of hard to convince another, like, big-time back to come in. But at the same time, those are the only two backs that they've signed in those two cycles as far as scholarships go. So it's actually kind of a need for them to sort of supplement those two guys. And so there's an opportunity for a guy like Edwards to come in and play pretty quickly uh, at some point again, because like I said, Haskins Charbonnet both have at least two years left, but still, you know, there's a, they need a little bit of a bridge there. Uh, Edwards, definitely the top guy. Uh, Crystal balls on Michigan. Uh, it has been for a while. Uh, this last winter evaluation period. Yeah. You talk about the guys that came through. Um, I mean, he got offers from Bama, Oklahoma, USC. Uh, I want to say Texas A&M, Florida. I mean, he had a, he pretty much all the ones he didn't have, he has now his junior film was awesome i actually think his sophomore film was solid but not spectacular his junior film was awesome i mean he's a definite national national name and a guy another he's another guy in state i think could could move up to five stars eventually i mean he just he looked awesome in his junior film not just as a as a straight back but also catching the ball uh, just physically just looks like a five-star kind of guy so he's gonna be one of those guys that people are gonna label as a must-have or can't-miss type deal. I would say Georgia, Ohio State, maybe Notre Dame a little bit. Uh, but again, with all these new offers that are coming in, we might see some of these other schools kind of sneak into the race too. I mean, Alabama's always going to get a look, I feel like. so. Uh, but Michigan, I think Jay Harbaugh running the point on that one. Sharon Moore also involved. You know, Michigan's definitely, at the very least, is going to be in it until the end. Uh, he was just on campus a few weeks ago, had a great time as usual. So we'll see. Uh, but again, the crystal ball, Michigan leaves the crystal ball right now. So we'll just have to see where it goes. I don't think he's going to decide anytime soon either. So, you know, could be one of those nail biters down the road that we talk about like five more times before he actually makes yeah. a decision. Well, and another running back we're in on is uh, Corey Kiner from Ohio. He's a four-star kid. Can we bring in another high-profile back in this class, especially uh, one that's in Ohio State's backyard? I think so. I that, so the funny the the my sort of belief, and this is just my opinion, is I kind of feel like between Kiner and Edwards, I kind of feel like one will go to Michigan and one will go to Ohio State. I'd be surprised if both went to the same program, despite the fact that you know at the same time. The funny thing is, I think Ohio State has as good of a pitch right now at back as anybody does. Uh, they only signed one three star last cycle. They really need running back. Might be their biggest need in this 2021 class. So, you know, they have not just because of the pedigree they have there, but they legitimately need like bodies there. So there's a, you know, strong pitch for a kid of either one of those guys' caliber to come in and play right away. The thing with Kiner, Cincinnati is 
not necessarily the – I mean, he could very easily go to Ohio State. Don't get me wrong. But it's not the direct pipeline to Ohio State that it normally is. Usually kids out of Cincinnati at least listen to other programs. The thing with the other thing with him is I think earlier in the process, I think Michigan had a pretty decent lead uh, in his recruitment. They offered really early. He had a really good first visit to campus, which was, I mean, forever ago at this point. And, you know, now he's kind of another guy that's kind of become more national. I know LSU has been recruiting him pretty hard, too. But I do think this is eventually Michigan or Ohio State as well. Uh, but he should be back up on campus sometime in April. And I, I, if I was a Michigan fan, I would be happy getting either one of those two guys. I think they're pretty similar. Much like Edwards, Kiner's junior film was really, really good. Had good sophomore film, but his junior film was really great. So, you know, I think Michigan fans would be happy to get one of those two guys and then maybe take another, maybe more of the, one of those all-purpose type backs, you know, to finish out the class. But either one of those guys as a headliner, I think, would be considered satisfying. Well, Michigan is no stranger at our Lady of Good Council. I believe it's an only Maryland. And, and this year, we're after a five-star offensive tackle, Langdon Tenguar. I've read we are in his top three as of right now. Yes. He's one, at least as things stand now, I would probably peg, if I had to choose, I don't think I've put a crystal ball in on him, but I would probably peg him to Penn State, which kind of says a lot because they let go of their offensive line coach and they have a new offensive coordinator. But I still think Penn State is kind of ahead in this one. I think Michigan, Notre Dame, and Penn State are that top three. I don't know if I'd put Michigan second or third right now, but I would be, I'm pretty confident that Penn State is the leader in that one. But again, I mean, you got El Hadi, Spindler, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about here shortly. You know, there's a lot of guys even closer to home that I think Michigan has very good shots with that are really, really good that, you know, a guy like Tangwall would be a great addition, obviously, but I don't think it's the necessity that it might normally be, I suppose. So, uh, I would say Penn State leads there right now. Well, let's talk about that name you mentioned, uh, Rocco Spindler, who, of course, is from Metro Detroit, Clarkston. We hear a lot about him. A very familiar name to uh, Detroit Lions fans uh, uh, because of his dad, Mark Spindler. Four-star offensive tackle. It sounds like he is a Michigan lock, doesn't it, Steve? Nobody's ever a lock. I don't, I, I'm, I don't usually throw a lock around very often. I do think Michigan is probably in pretty good shape. You know, it's it's funny is like there's a lot of these races where for Michigan anyway, I'm sure this is kind of the case with other recruits with other programs, but you know, for Michigan, it's like, I feel like they get off to like a great lead in a lot of these recruitments and Mm -hmm. then things kind of slow down a little bit once more and more offers start to kind of pour in. Uh, My crystal ball has been on Spindler for a while. I don't plan on changing it anytime soon. I guess if that, that'd be the best way to put it, but I don't think he's a lock. I think Notre Dame is also very much alive. Ohio State, again, kind of sniffing around there, too, a little bit. I don't know if them bringing Kerry Combs back is going to, like, it will, how much that will help them. You remember how well he did in Detroit mm-hmm. uh, when he was there last time with the, the Mike Webbers, the Damon Webbs, that type of deal. So we'll have to see another guy, though. He's just outside of five-star status. I mean, there, there's this in-state class is just so good. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I would say Notre Dame, Michigan State, or, or, or not Michigan or Ohio State right now. Uh, I think there are a lot of other schools. And again, we you know we don't know anything about Michigan State with the new hire, too. I don't anticipate they'll become factors with these kids. I think it's a little late, but can't write them off either necessarily. Well, another school we've done well with, uh, as we all know, is Jersey powerhouse Bergen Catholic. 
And there's Taiwan Malone. He's a four-star defensive tackle. He would fill a huge need for us, wouldn't he, Steve? Yes. So he's also a stud baseball player, too. I mean, he's like a legitimate like top 50-level prospect uh, on the baseball field. So that might actually become a factor. And as we know now, I mean, Michigan, at least according to one publication, number one team in the country, you know, so they have they have legitimate things to offer uh, on that side of the the coin for him. So, yeah, huge need. Big question. The natural question, obviously, Partridge Campanile no longer on the staff. How much is like not having that direct jersey connection going to impact his recruitment? Right. I mean, you can't deny that having guys from those areas it can play a huge role in helping. I mean, you know, Jordan Morant. Michigan hadn't gotten a kid out of Bergen Catholic. I don't know if they ever had. And then they pull in a top 150-level guy last cycle in Morant, mainly due to Campanile. So with those two guys gone, it'll be interesting to see what direction his recruitment goes. I still think Michigan's definitely a factor. That depth chart is going to help them in any of their races at defensive tackle this cycle. He's a stud, though. He's another guy I think is a five-star level kid. I mean, I think he ends the cycle as a five-star. He's just an uber-athlete. Large dude, but like quick and like large, like not like no, not really bad weight either for his size. I mean, he's just, he's already looks like sort of a pro type, you know, and you add in that ability to play baseball, which coaches programs love, you know, guys that can play multi-sports at a high level. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's another guy, Ohio state and also down South though. He's been given some schools down South, like Texas A&M, I think Florida, are a couple of programs down south that he seems to be pretty intrigued with. Uh, Penn State, obviously, you know, is much of a factor in the New Jersey, the, the East Coast areas, Michigan and Viz. So uh, those are the schools I kind of watch out for with him. But, yeah, he's a tip-top type target for them between skill and what they need. Here with us on our game day segment this week as we uh, really do our first recruiting uh, show of the year is Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports. Steve, uh, defensive end Aaron Armitage, uh, he's from Blair Academy, which is in Jersey. Uh, he's a kid we really like. I've seen some film on him. Very impressive. Uh, one of his teammates, David Ajabo, already here. Is that helping us with him, Steve? Yeah, it doesn't hurt. Uh, you know, Jason Owe uh, signed with Penn State last cycle from Blair Academy. I mean, and that was actually, that one came down to the wire between Penn State, Michigan, and I think Ohio State, too. So, yeah, I mean, he's... The Blair Academy kids, I think there's some academics in that situation. So you talk about Notre Dame, I think also being a major factor in that one. And then Penn State as well. You know, you talk about OA being already being there as well. So, you know, there's a couple guys. He's got some connections at a couple different programs. You know, again, the same thing, though, with Partridge and Campanelli leave is kind of the question is, is what's going to happen with some of these New Jersey targets, you know, because it can change things. They don't really have anybody on staff now who has any direct connection to New Jersey, which again, guys like, but, but Armitage though has already been on campus twice. So I would peg his situation as it, the departures impacting it a little less than Malone. Malone's been there, but Armitage has been there at least twice. He's maybe been there three times. So he kind of already knows what Michigan's all about. Doesn't necessarily need like a coach that, you know, is from the area to understand what Michigan's about or to, to have somebody to talk to like that. So you know, the onus is kind of on Sean Nua, especially, to kind of take over in some of these races and, and see where they can get, you know. And, and so Armitage, yeah, another top 150 level guy. I'd say a top three, very similar to Tangwall, who we mentioned, 
uh, Notre Dame, Penn State, and Michigan, probably the top three schools right there. Well, another offensive lineman we've been hearing about is uh, David, I don't know if it's uh, David Koff or David Koff, uh, four-star from New Trier, Illinois. His primary recruiter is Sharon Moore, who does pretty well getting big-time commits in, in in Illinois to come to Michigan, doesn't he, Steve? Yeah, between, I mean, he's been, he was big with McCarthy. Uh, he's big with A.J. Henning. And David, I just call him David, uh, <laughs> is, I yeah, I, I don't try. I haven't talked to him on the phone, so I've never gotten to ask him. But uh, number one prospect in Illinois for the cycle. And I have, so I I think I'm still, I have, I have the only crystal ball prediction in period, and I do have it for Michigan. I think the question will be how early is he looking to decide and how does Michigan go about things up front with some of the other targets they have on their board, which is crazy to think because he's a top, almost a top 100 kid, you know, but they're in really good shape with a lot of guys. It'll be interesting to see, you know, I, if I had to guess right now, I'd say Michigan or Wisconsin in that race, uh, which, you know, is usually means this kid knows what he's looking for. You know, if you're Michigan, Wisconsin up front, two pretty good programs as far as the offensive line goes. So, yeah, another guy, I think he's one of those guys that probably projects a tackle but could play inside as well. Uh, there's a, always a, always try to take a couple of those guys each cycle, the guys that could move really anywhere up front. And I think he kind of fits that bill for them in, in 2021. So it'll be that'll be an interesting race. He's a very quiet kid, uh, but Michigan has been – done really really well he took a really really early visit and because he hasn't taken many visits and i don't think he's the type of kid that's going to take 15 20 visits around the country i I think he's going to keep it pretty close to the best take a few visits uh he already seems to know what he likes you know so i'd say michigan or wisconsin at this point well we have another img kid on the radar he's a four-star wide out and i'm not sure how you pronounce this uh decal or decal crowdis who has been timed at 4-4 in the 40. He has a 44.3 vertical jump, so the kid is an athlete, no question. Going to IMG Academy, but I believe he's actually from Kentucky. Where do we stand with him, Steve? So Crowdis is a guy I would say is moving down on the board. He also left IMG Academy and is going back to Kentucky where where he came from. I think he's going back to the exact high school he was at. I would say a kid like a guy I would say instead would be Malcolm Johnson Jr., uh, would probably kind of be the, I want to say replacement, but the, the guy that they're really sort of recruiting now really hard at, at wide receiver who's sort of the same. Uh, he's a national-level track runner who I believe just set some kind of record in Virginia for the fastest 60-meter dash. His, I think his 40, he ran a 4.6, but he's, a lot, he's faster than that, though. I think he had a bad day. I mean, he beat. So Nick Cross was a five-star kid out of Maryland a couple of years ago who ran a 4-4-3. He smashed Nick Cross's 60-meter. That was whose record he smashed. So I have to assume he's at least close to his 40-yard dash as well. Um, raw, but really, really fast. And he's also becoming a national guy. Another guy that Gaddis got really got in really, really early with, kind of like Crowdis when they first offered him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Johnson Jr. is a, a guy that they got in really early with. He's now got Alabama, LSU, uh, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of those big ones. And, you know, we talk about the speed and space stuff, but I think they're looking for, you know, he's 6'1". So he's not that 5'10", 5'9", type deal at all. I mean, he's, a, he's a, you know, much like Roman Wilson. I think people thought Roman Wilson was kind of short, but then you actually see him and he's not. I think Johnson Jr. is similar in that idea where he's just lightning fast and has that size. Kind of like the Bama receivers that Gaddis coached for that year, you know, with Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs 
you know, those guys, like, I think people think they're, like, kind of short, but they're both six foot plus. I mean, which is, that's fine. I think Michigan's going to recruit a few more of those, the six foot one plus kind of guys this cycle. And Johnson Jr.'s really kind of been the hot name the last month or so for them. So, uh, very early, like, he is in no hurry at all. So, I, I wouldn't even really know where to peg him or who's even big contender. I think Michigan will contend. He's already been to campus. I think Maryland probably too. I think there's a connection with Mike Loxley there. So could be one to watch, but uh, you know, going to be an interesting one. He's kind of that, the guy I kind of consider the top receiver target right now. Well, we are working the cast tech pipeline once again, and this time we're after a big time center, a four star Raheem Anderson, who I believe Steve is rated the number two center in this cycle. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, I think we had him up. Yeah, he's a four-star. You know, and there aren't many. I think on average there are like three four-star centers total per cycle. You know, and I, so I think he is number two. He's one I'm going to be – it'll be interesting. I'm actually kind of interested to see if Michigan State, their new hire, is able to make some inroads there. I think Michigan's still recruiting Anderson. I'm not 100% sure that he's like a – top top target type right now you know they have zach carpenter coming in or not coming in but who's already been in from from last cycle who really looks like the future at center and i think that reese atterbury who they took in 2020 as a kid that they believe is this could be a potential center as well so it's less about maybe what they think about him as it is like they don't maybe need a pure center and anderson is like a pure center type prospect so I, it'll be interesting to see. I'm not 100% sure they're going all in on him, but he's a, definitely a name to keep an eye on still. But uh, Michigan State would be a program, like I said, to watch with the new hire. I think he's the type of kid they'll make a run at because they're going to want to try to make some kind of impact in Detroit. And uh trying to think of who else is really after him. I think Purdue is another program that's been strong after him as well. So uh, probably a name to keep an eye on. But, again, I mean, it, it's early. They're in on a lot of, like, really big-time names up front. So, um, he's in there somewhere, though. Well, then locally, another kid we're uh, hearing a lot about is Jamari Budden. Budden, I'm not sure how you pronounce that either, but he's from Belleville, just west of the uh, the city. He's a four-star outside linebacker. Not really a great position of need in this cycle for us, but it really is hard not to go after a kid of this caliber, especially when he is in your backyard, Steve. Isn't that right? Yes, and I think he's a guy, he's a... uh safe I guess yeah safe bet to move up in the next ranking I mean we already have him as a four-star guy I think he was really close to being bumped up before the season because of his performance in some camps last summer but his junior film kind of backed up those camp performances I think he might take a decent ranking and yeah I mean Michigan another one where they were kind of smart to get in early uh yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's a Viper or just a straight, like, Sam type on the outside. I think that's, you know, they'll figure that out. But potentially explosive player at that position. I mean, he's he's got a pretty high ceiling. I, I'll be interested to see what his testing numbers are like the next time he is at an event where they have testing numbers, if he does. Uh, but I think he's a super explosive player. Yeah, Belleville continues to kind of churn guys out. Michigan's done a better job there, and I think they get credit for and uh, but but with him, I think probably Michigan or Penn State. I think Penn State's the other program that's made a decent size impression on him. The crystal ball though is fully in favor of Michigan, as far as I know. I know I have one in for Michigan. I know Alan Trew has one in for Michigan. Some noteworthy picks there. So uh, so yeah, so definitely Michigan way in there. I think Penn State though probably the other program to watch in that race. Well, I know we have a lot of other kids offered at this point. 
Are there some other names that we haven't talked about here that are Michigan leans right now? The first one that comes to mind is, is definitely Caleb Tiernan, the tackle at Detroit Country Day. You know, he's only ranked as a three-star prospect, but I 1,000% believe that Michigan sees him as a potential star. Uh, best way to talk about him, he's he's already weighs he weighs more than Ryan Hayes did at this point in his high school career. He's longer than Jalen Mayfield. Um, he's a stud basketball player. I mean, I think he is a tier one, like just a very, very top target for Michigan at tackle. Uh, another guy I would be very surprised, especially with the way that we, our guys at 24-7 evaluate and rank offensive linemen, I would be very surprised if he did not take a significant leap in our next rankings, which actually should be coming out, like, I think within a week. Uh, so, He's a guy to definitely watch out for. Michigan has been – he was identified very early by Warner as a guy that they've recruited the heck out of and would be – you have El Hadi and Tiernan on the outsides. I think Michigan would be absolutely ecstatic. I think that's about his best-case scenario for them, as you can imagine. You know, And then you, yeah, then you go after the Spindlers. Garrett Dellinger, too, the other Clarkson prospect, is a guy that they're still involved in. You know, and then David Koff, as we talked about, or David, like I might not even be David Koff, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of those guys up front that they are pretty big factors for. Another guy to watch out for, actually, out of Illinois is Pat Coogan, is another guy they offered in the winter eval period here uh, about a month or so ago. Michigan really seems to like him as well. Uh, I think he'll be on campus in a couple weeks. So, you know, he's another name to kind of keep an eye on there. But it is Rayshon Benny out of Oak Park, who. We haven't listed out offensively, but Michigan's recruiting that defensive tackle. You know, he's a big name. He's another top 150-level type kid that Michigan, I think, is in pretty decent shape for right now. Again, Penn State, kind of the maybe the biggest problem for Michigan this cycle would be Penn State. It feels like they're in on a lot of mutual guys. You know, so that he'll be he'll be considering them. They'll be one. They'll be one to watch there. Uh, Victory Vaca out of Westlake, California, at defensive tackle is another big name. I'm trying to just think of defensive tackles because it is a pretty big need. Uh, you know, he's another four-star type kid. He'll officially visit Michigan in June. You know, another one where Sean Nua has really kind of been all over them, uh, all over him and all over Benny and Malone, you know, because they really need those guys. And honestly, they recruit so well. If they recruit well enough up front on the offensive line, you know, Rocco Spindler is a kid that can play defensive tackle at the next level, too. I don't have any doubt about that. So, you know, a lot of options in that regard for them. So trying to think if there's anybody else off the top of my head. Uh, receiver, I know they like Caden Prather out of Maryland. is another, like, six. he's a 6'3", six, 6'4", six, type kid. Dante Thornton, who was committed to Penn State at one time, another guy they really like. Um, but, no, this, this class has the potential to be pretty highly rated. I think it's – you get those two top 100 guys to kind of build around, and I think there's some real potential with this class. Their early evals have really panned out. They seem to be panning out more and more each cycle as far as, like, the guys they get in on really early and then they go after, you know, but it feels like they have a better chance to hit on more of these guys than they have the last couple cycles. Well, I know my listeners cannot get enough recruiting talk, uh, but we have plenty of time in the coming months to uh, talk about this class as it develops. So a final question for you today, Steve. Jim Harbaugh has brought in some very, very good classes, uh, no doubt. But all we hear about on the national scene, that we are not recruiting at the level of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, LSU. 
what will it take for us to get to that level? Or is it even realistic to think we can? Uh, I mean, they got to they gotta win the big games. It's, it's been that, that's kind of been the answer the whole time, I think. They got to they gotta win one. They got to win the conference one of these seasons. They got to beat Ohio State. You know, it's really it's just as tired of a topic as it is to talk about. Even like for what I do, we hear about it like literally 344 days out of the 365 days a year, probably. Um, it's really what it comes down to. They got to kind of get over that hump. Otherwise, they're going to be stuck in that that not eight to like. 13, 14 range, you know, which you can win. I mean, that's how Clemson, Clemson built their program off of that, of like recruiting classes in that range. You know, so I think that, I guess the other thing would be is that they got to find the, they have to find like a Heisman caliber quarterback. So whether that's somebody on the roster right now, or if it's McCarthy or whoever, I think that's the other, that's the other way that you can kind of get there, you know? And so that's why I always kind of look, think about is where their recruiting would be or what would have changed if they'd have gotten, say, if they'd gotten the spot in that game, you know, or uh, beaten Florida State in the Orange Bowl, you know, the Orange Bowl. Like, just that there's been a few, like, just game of inches type deals where that really could have kind of altered the uh, project, uh, the uh, projection or the, the course of where the program was going a little bit, you know. So, I yeah, it comes down to winning the conference getting into a playoff and, and, you know, just creating a bigger, better perception on the field. I think the perception on the field is mostly fine. I mean, they're putting a lot of pros and they're putting a lot of guys in the pros. They are winning consistent. I mean, I think, I think since Harbaugh has been hired, they have the seventh most wins. It's not as if they're like failing necessarily. It's just that their big rival is on a run that is basically unprecedented in the big 10 right now. And so, you know, I think that's, that's really Probably the key. They got to get over the hump. They're not rankings and ratings wise. I don't anticipate they're going to catch any of those programs anytime soon. But it is, so it'll be about out evaluating and then just winning some of those games, you know. And it really does just come down to Ohio State. He's above. He's above 500 against Penn State. He's above 500 against Michigan State. You know, they split with Notre Dame. It just really comes down to Ohio State. So uh, they can get over that hump. Even then, though, I don't know if one game will even alter, will just like alter it. But you know, getting into the playoffs, getting a conference title would really help because it is like they they their APR, like the the academic athletic combo that Michigan offers is arguably second to none when they're winning at a high level. You know, and I think they would find recruiting even easier uh, if they could just get over the hump. In a, in a couple of big games and, and bring home some hardware. No, I agree with you. I think Ohio State is the speed bump. We're knocking on the door, uh, but we have got to beat Ohio State. And, you know, I tell a lot of our younger listeners, if you read recruiting news uh, or just football news, college football news in general, you tend to think that, you know, Clemson, Georgia, and LSU have always been what they are today. And in my lifetime, that is not true. Clemson was, you know, a very average program for a better part of my youth. Uh, Georgia was an underachiever. LSU had some really bad years. They have not always been what they are now. So, yeah, there there has to be a point or a game or a couple of seasons in a row where we put it together. You can turn this thing around. We can make that next jump. I really believe that. I think so, too. I guess I think of, think of it this way, Mike. Is there any other program in college football that has avoided that like that 
run of mediocrity that Ohio State has avoided. I can't think of one program. No. In the you no. think about Alabama before Saban came in. Oklahoma had some lean years there before Bob Stoops. Texas with Charlie Strong recently. Uh, Florida after Meyer left. Florida State right now. Tennessee right now. Nebraska right now. You know, USC right now. I mean, it's just Oregon before uh, uh, who's their big I don't know, but Oregon before uh, Nike really kind of got involved, I guess. Uh, you know, it's like every other major program in college football, period, has has either like made the wrong hire or you know, at some point Ohio State's that one program. They had the one seven and six year under Fickle, but even as much success as Michigan had against John Cooper, Ohio State was still winning 10 or 11 games every year. You know, it was just Michigan was kind of the monkey on their back during the Cooper years, but they were still winning, like, big games and, and going places, doing things. They have never had that three- or four- or five-year stretch of, like, you know, six and seven or, you know, seven and six. Like, they've like their only program that has avoided that, and that's why they continue to recruit so well because they've basically won 11 games a year since Jim Trestle was hired. And that's that's a level of recruiting momentum that I don't think – I don't know if any coach or any program would really be able to fully slow down. It'll really just a lot. Some of it might come down to them making the wrong hire or them, you know, like they have to lose a few big games or something like that. You know, it's, it's not something where Michigan can just come in and just out recruit them because they have such a laundry list of pros. They have, they have titles, they have big 10 championships, all stuff that was, that happened before Harbaugh was ever even hired that they can lean back on, you know, there's just such a rich tradition in the last 20 years there, you know, that they can lean on and, and use to help continue to recruit at a high level. And so, you know, it's a little bit, it's just not as easy as, and I probably even underestimated this when Harbaugh was higher, but it's not as easy as just, you can't just, you know, make it happen. Uh, you know, they've, they've, I think we have like a talent composite, which is like the most talented rosters in the game based on like the recruiting rankings of the current roster and they're always near at the top just because they've had, they've sustained such a high level of recruiting for such a long time. So, you know, a little bit of a taller mountain, I think, than what maybe we first thought when it happened. But when you look back and you see every year, these, these teams that recruit at the highest level or the Mm -hmm. teams that are usually there at the end, um, it's, it's not as easy, you know, to catch them as quickly, you know, as you might think. So, doesn't mean Michigan hasn't squandered. They've squandered a couple of those games. I'm not sitting here saying, you know, that it's all because Ohio State recruits at a high level. I mean, Michigan could have had a couple of them there. But uh, it's strictly strictly talent speaking, it's not going to be as easy to catch them as I think people maybe thought or anticipated. No, you are right about that. But uh, we just have to keep uh, moving forward and eventually get one of those games. So um, we'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that as uh, as this year rolls along. But our guest on the show today, first time this year as we've talked recruiting, is Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports. Steve, always uh, fun to have you on the show, and we look forward to the next visit. Not a problem, Mike. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze & Brew. On Quick Hits today, Juwan Howard and his team are red hot. We are 16-9 and with six games left on the regular season schedule. Four of those are on the road, 
and two of them are this week. We have Rutgers at the Rack tonight, where they are 17-0. Then on Saturday, we visit Purdue at Mackey Arena. I think a split would be fine, but if we could get two, whoa, that would be huge to say the least. As of right now, we are solid for the big dance, but I think we need to split three of our last six games. If we do, I think we'll all be happy. Women's basketball led in the early stages of the game, but an 11-2 run by Rutgers to end the first quarter proved to be the difference in a 62-41 Scarlet Knight win Sunday afternoon at the Rack. Sophomore Amy Dilk paced the Wolverines with 12 points, with three others chipping in five. Rutgers used an 11-2 spurt to end the first quarter to take control of the game. Michigan closed within five points in the second quarter, but could get no closer in the contest. We will close out a stretch of four games in 10 days tonight, Wednesday evening, hosting Illinois at Chrysler. We are 16-9 overall, 7-7 in Big Ten play, heading into this week's action. Will Lockwood recorded a three-point game with two goals and one assist, and Strauss Mann made 31 saves as Red Hot Hockey defeated Michigan State 4-1 for the duel in the D at Little Caesars Arena on Monday evening. The win marks Michigan's fourth consecutive Iron D Trophy victory, as well as its fourth straight win, entering a crucial four-game stretch to close out the regular season. This weekend, Notre Dame will come to Yost Ice Arena for a two-game set. Puck drop is scheduled for 6 p.m. Friday night before an early 4 p.m. start to close out U of M's regular season home schedule Saturday afternoon. Following Saturday's contest, nine Wolverines will be honored in the program's annual Senior Night Ceremony. Both games will be shown on the Big Ten Network. We are 15-12-3 overall, 10-8-2 in Big Ten play heading into this weekend's series. Sophomore Lauren Esman delivered a pinch-hit grand slam to break a tied game in the sixth and propel the number 11-ranked Michigan softball team to an 8-4 win against Louisville on Sunday morning at North Carolina's Anderson Stadium. With the victory, the Wolverines swept their ACC Big Ten Challenge weekend and improved to 9-0 on the season. Junior left-handed pitcher Megan Bobian, now 5-0, earned the win in relief, allowing two runs on three hits, two walks, and three hit batters while striking out two. She found her groove after the go-ahead grand slam, allowing just one base runner in the final two frames. Michigan will return to the Southeast region this weekend when it heads to Columbia, South Carolina for a four-game slate at the Gamecock Invitational. We will open play against Liberty at 10 a.m. on Friday at the Carolina Softball Stadium. Baseball had an incredible start to the season in the MLB4 tournament out in Phoenix last weekend. On Friday night, we took down number 2 Vanderbilt 4-3 in a rematch of last year's College World Series. On Saturday, we started the day with an 8-5 win over Cal Poly, then shot out number 9 Arizona State 5-0 in the nightcap. On Saturday, UConn got the best of his 7-1. Number 1 Michigan, that's right, we are number 1 this week in the Baseball America poll, first time ever, and we'll have an opportunity to avenge last week's loss to UConn when we meet for three games this weekend down in Port St. Lucie, Florida. It is a busy time on the Michigan athletic scene, and we really do have a lot of good stuff happening. That will do it for another week, though. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Have a great Wolverine weekend, everyone, and make sure you join us next week. Until then, take care, and as always, Go Blue!
Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!